Welcome to our podcast. If you enjoy this segment, we encourage you to check out the others. Also, if you're new to Hedgeye, you qualify for a special discount on one of our Hedgeye investing products. Email customer service director Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. Thank you for joining us for our Consumables Pro Outlook. I'm Daniel Bielsi of the Consumables Pro team, and I'm joined with Howard Penny, our sector head. Howard, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks, Daniel, and uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us on our Consumable Pro um, update slide deck. Uh, we're going to run through a number of things today uh, as it relates to the Consumable Pro product uh, and what you're going to get. First, I want to introduce you to the, uh, the team, which is on slide three. Uh, myself, um, uh, covering restaurants for a number of years. Daniel, who you just heard from, and you'll hear more from him in a second. Uh, and then Kosei Suzuki. Uh, who is an English major at Columbia University and a critical part of our team. So what is Consumable Pro and, and what do you expect from us? Um, on slide four, you know, essentially you are going to get the best of us in terms of our ideas, the money-making ideas, uh, trading ideas, daily notes in each sector, um, and video summaries of our uh, long and short theses, um, Q&A. We've done a number of Q&As, which are a lot of fun. Love to hear your questions. And as well, we'd love to hear your questions today. Um, and we do have industry trackers and sentiment mo monitors um, that, that keep us updated uh, through, the, uh, through our process during the day. On slide four, or sorry, slide five, you can get an idea of what the emails look like across the, um, across the three different sectors, restaurants, staples, and cannabis. Uh, so Daniel puts together a, a a Staples Insight, which you know goes through some issues in the Staples space. I do the restaurants, and then collectively, Kosi and I together um, do the cannabis uh, insights. And those are really fun to do. Frankly, um, it's a great way to start the the morning in terms of keeping up with the news flow and understanding what's going on. Uh, and and frankly, it's it helps us and drives our process from keeping up with our best ideas uh, and any incremental data points that we should be aware of. Uh, on slide, why Consumables Pro? Um, <clears throat> for the serious investor who wants a uh, company and industry insights um, that professional investors have, um, Daniel has a number of years of experience. I have a number of years of experience as well. Um, and, you know, you're going to get the best of our earnings models, trackers, and as I said, decades of, of, of you know, industry experience. But, but most importantly, we're here to help you make money, frankly. Um, so what I'd like to do now is turn just to the restaurants and then I'm going to turn it over to Daniel uh, to talk about the staples and then I'll come back um, and talk about um, the cannabis industry, which is really an exciting place to be um, and frankly, some great loans in the space today. So on slide eight, you'll see the uh, restaurants hedge-eye position monitor. We've got a lot of uh, longs and long uh, biases and a few shorts that we've been focused on, uh, Beyond Meats and Shack are our two best ideas uh, in, the, in the restaurant space as short. And yes, I still love the short on Beyond Meat even after it has uh, gone down today or down yesterday. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's a theme here that runs through the, the restaurants long. And uh, about a month ago, we did a deck on um, a long casual dining uh, because we think the recovery there is going to be strong. And there's a number of operators that are uh, better off, frankly, um, which is sad to say, but um, true and to a certain degree that, you know, this is the COVID experience has really forced them to improve their operations and their 
the fundamental aspect of running their businesses. And so you're seeing these businesses better run today, more innovative, using technology to drive uh, the business. And frankly, they have done things today they would have never done from an operational experience. Uh, an operational perspective to improve the business if COVID didn't hit. Um, we do have some some bias longs there, um, which uh, to a certain degree I'm getting a little nervous about, um, given you know the way some of these stocks are acting, and those are the COVID window winners. We do still like Papa John's and Domino's, but you know we're going to have to see how they begin to unfold in the first quarter. Um, on slide nine, you can get a look at what. Um, you know, the recovery timeline uh, looks for a number of these companies a little looks a little less certain. Um, uh, play looks a little less certain, but we like Brinker and Texas Roadhouse, as you saw from the best ideas. But you get an, an idea of what the recovery looks like. Um, and yes, if there is a vaccine, that might actually turn out to be the case for play, a 324% increase um, in comps uh, four quarters out. But uh, I wouldn't hold my breath on that one, frankly. On slide 10, you can see what the current industry sales trends look like through October from Black Box. There's been a nice recovery, obviously, as we've seen um, when you look at traffic, uh, sorry, same store sales down 7.5% and traffic down 13. Um, but it's starting to slow, and, and meaning that the rate of recovery is, is petering out. And that has a large part due, to do with the fact that dining rooms aren't opening uh, and they probably aren't going to open as rapidly as some might like, some being the industry participants uh, might like just because of the new um, outbreak in, in, in cases. So the recovery will probably stall out from here until we get, you know, into the, you know, into the uh, first quarter and into March and April when you'll begin to see some of the, the comps that you saw in the previous slide. On slide 11, um, there is, yes, there is going to be a lot of permanent closure. Sadly, this is going to be the case, but I think, and I will steal this line from the CEO of Cisco, who said there's going to be a churn in the industry, meaning that you're going to get some closures, people are going to have to close down, but there also is going to be, you know, some new new um, restaurants opening up and ones that have closed will, will find their way back into, into, uh, into operating. So this is a, a temporary piece of the industry um, having to deal with the COVID um, issues, but we're gonna come back and the industry is probably gonna come back a lot stronger. Uh, as you can see on slide 12, what the, what, what the art, our, our, uh, sorry, what the, 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 um, the virus looks like trending across a number of different states um, and obviously red is bad. Uh, to a certain degree. On slide 13, um, how soon from now would you be comfortable to eating out? Um, this has improved um, significantly, frankly, but um, with close to 50% are comfortable eating out um, now or under a month. Um, but, uh, and frankly, I'm comfortable eating out as well, but as long as it's outdoors and not indoors, frankly. Um, and then on slide 14, uh, you're, we've broken down the same store sales uh, and we do this um, daily, frankly, um, as we get updates from different companies and, and you can see it broken out. Um, casual dining, family dining, uh, fast casual, small box and, and traditional quick service. And again, um, you know, the casual dining has got one of the, the bigger recovery trends that we're going to see as we head into the second quarter. I am skeptical of playing some of these family dining names. So, uh, we're just uh, we're we're just going to stay away from from those names for now, but you never know. So with that, I'll uh, Daniel. I'm going to turn it over to you. And uh, okay, sorry. So for consumer staples on slide, start off with slide 
16, that's our uh, position monitor. Um, you know, we, we can get into some of the specific companies uh, in the Q&A, but this is wh where we stand with the, um, with the various ideas. On slide 17, um, you know, grocery sales have been one of the, the big COVID-19 winners. And you can see the sales increase over a long-term chart here, here below. Um, and we're seeing a little acceleration here actually in September with some of the restrictions coming back on with the states. On, on slide 18, you know, we can see there, there are a lot of behavioral changes which are really important to understand on, on how and, and what the consumer was spending, um, but we're, we're not gonna get through all of those right, right now, but you can refer to those. On slide 19, you know, I, I've been using fresh produce sales as a, as a good indicator of what the real demand is because there's so much stockpiling and, and buying ahead of demand by the consumer during the pandemic, but fresh produce isn't stored. So it's, it's a pretty good um, indicator of what the whole meal preparation is. And that's been quite steady since you know, July. It's been about up 10% and it's, it's holding steady um, currently. And that's despite you know some people returning to work, some children returning to school, um, some people returning to the, the restaurant, it's still up about 10%. So I think that's an important um, thing to keep in mind when looking at the grocery trends. On slide 20, uh, I put this in here. It has the top 21 uh, categories uh, that you find in the grocery store and, and you can see the growth by channel. So you can see how it, it's, the grocery channel itself has outperformed the convenience channel and the multi-outlets, which are like your big box retailers like Walmart and Target. Uh, and, and you can also see uh, on e-commerce just how much um, the growth rate has been in e-commerce, but it hasn't been in every category. Obviously, there's some categories like cigarettes that you just don't really buy in, online. On slide 21, this shows the, the different pandemic time periods by channel again in a different way. Um, and, and you can see the acceleration of the penetration of online, um, you know, has, has really benefited the, the grocery channel and the multi-outlet, but you can see uh, that the strength has continued even, even in the most recent four weeks. On slide 22, e-commerce, which I was just referring to, has been the big pandemic winner. You know, that this is, um, it didn't happen the same time as, as the, the stockpiling period in March because and the grocery stores, they didn't have as many slots to, to fill. So it, it, the timing of the growth in e-commerce was a little bit different, um, but that's something where you saw several years of acceleration in, in the penetration of online shopping, you know, all, all happened this year. And, you know, you, you've, you've made people who probably would, you know, like your older citizens who probably would never have wanted to shop online, they were shopping online. So you saw a huge increase in, in online shopping. And that's been decelerating in, in recent you know, weeks, but we've seen a little pickup in, in the most uh, recent period ended uh, basically for October. We saw a little pickup in October and that might be with um, some more restrictions going into the States. On slide 23, you know, we're not sure which way a stimulus will go. And, and I think this is, this is helpful to see the timing of when the stimulus checks went in and the unemployment checks. So you can see the grocery did benefit, you know, the whole CPG category benefited just like everything else. But um, even when they faded away or, or stopped, you can see that the demands still held up. So, you know, if we have another stim stimulus, you know, the sector is not going to benefit on a relative basis. They'll, they'll still still helps them, but you're not going to see a, a big jump in, in sales. And on a relative basis, you know, investors are going to probably play other sectors 
where you might see that spending show up like, like in the restaurants, for example. And then slides 24, something else to consider with the new administration is if, if you know, the federal minimum wage increases, um, you, you can see that affect different states and, and you know, groceries are, chains are almost always regional. So you have different impacts depending on where the companies are based. And with that, Howard, I'll, I'll turn it over to you on, on consume, uh, cannabis. I know that's where uh, people are paying attention right now. And you can see how excited I am about the opportunities in cannabis, um, <laughs> my background. Anyway, slide 26 is our uh, cannabis position monitor. Um, and I just want to note one correction on here. Uh, yesterday, uh, we put Aurora as a best idea short. Um, we should have put Tilray, but... Um, Anyway, so the two best ideas shorts, both Afria and Tilray. And then with a big change for us um, has been going along bias on canopy growth, frankly. That um, we were, that was our first short, frankly, in the space. Um, in early, mid 2018, when we launched coverage on the space, we were uh, short canopy and a few others. Um, and now they're transitioning, they're making the transition, frankly. Um, so it's, it's exciting to see, and, and that has implications for um, one of Daniel's favorite veins, Constellation, as well. Um, but, you know, we love AYR, True Leaf, uh, IIPR, Green Thumb, Cresco. I mean, there's just there's so much opportunity in this, in this space as these companies mature, begin to throw off um, um, some significant free cash flow, have strong margins. And as you can see on slide 27, um, the projected U.S. legal market of the uh, cannabis space is going to have a very healthy growth rate, frankly, over the next decade, whether we get legalization or not, whether the Biden-Harris team come together and, and you know, provide some kind of legalization, whether it's the Morax, Daycat, SafeVac. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Um, but the fact of the matter is, um, you know, this industry is going to see significant growth um, over the next 10 years, frankly. And one of the reasons why we are feeling a little bit better about cannabis, you can see on slide 28, um, you know, the Canadian adult use retail sales is really starting to grow. I think we're close to a $3 billion run rate on an annualized basis now. Um, and that's really healthy as they begin to open up stores in, you know, along the provinces. And then, of course, uh, Canopy has its own store base, um, which will certainly help them as well. Um, a map that you all may or may not be familiar with on slide 29, the post-election uh, post legalization map. You know, this is really exciting, especially the, the dark green. Um, as the dark uh, green uh, moves its way um, uh, across the, uh, the United States and into, you know, more and more states, uh, in, and I think, you know, as we wrote about today, Texas is really looking at, you know, the potential of generating some significant revenues. And that would be a really big state to turn a little darker shade green. And of course, New York um, has been talking about legalization for <laughs> years and years. But again, you know, the, as these states border one another, if you go back to that map, sorry, um, if you look, you look at these states, you know, California was the first to grow. And then all of a sudden the bordering states go. Well, we've got, you know, New Jersey now, um, Massachusetts, a few states in the Northeast. So guess what's going to happen? Connecticut's going to go. Pennsylvania's going to go. Um, you know, all these states, New York's going to go. So in two years, I'm going to pick a number, you know, the, when you look at the Northeast and New England, that's going to be a darker shade of green. And that will 
allow these companies to sh show extraordinary growth over the next um, five years, 10 years. Um, so the uh, on slide 30, our 2020 election industry impact, um, you know, again, you know, this is hard to know how this is going to unfold, but, you know, either way, I think we're going to get some significant movement on some piece of legislation this year, just because you do have, you know, a few states that were, you know, red uh, in the red column that went legalized. And, you know, that's good for, you know, the conversation around legalization and you're going to bring in Republican, um, Republican governors uh, talking about it and, and people in the House and Senate, uh, more importantly, talking about it, Republicans in the House. So um, lastly, on the cannabis space, you can see, um, you know, what we think the market could be like uh, or how big the market could be. Um, could be a $40 billion uh, market. Again, we do map this out by state, uh, by usage rates, by adults. So, you know, we've got a fairly robust model on how we map out the market. We're not just... Uh, you know, throwing darts on the dartboard here. Um, Colorado, what we're seeing actually, and we put Colorado in here as an example, um, you know, as a, a spike in sales, and you're seeing this across the board. I mean, we could have we could have picked one, any one of the 12 or 13, you know, states that have been, you know, legalized rec for a number of years, and you're seeing a significant increase in significant run rate in, uh, in rec sales across the board for all these states. So, um, anyway, uh, Daniel, I'll turn it back to you. Uh, we do have, I would note, um, in the, the balance of this deck, um, a number of slides on our best ideas. If you have questions on those, we can certainly refer to some of the slides that we have. But, you know, we provided you some of the, the slides that go to the, um, you know, to the institutional community as we present our decks to them when we come up with, uh, with best ideas. So, Daniel, happy to take some questions. Okay, Howard. Um... So the first question, I'll start with the most most likes, is what various ETFs are best positioned to take advantage of growth in the space? And I'm going to assume that's referring to the cannabis space. And and, and I would just say, um, from my standpoint, when, when they say take advantage of the growth, I've never seen growth for a new sector like this um, in, that we see in cannabis. Yeah, no, it's extraordinary. Um... And then the models are extraordinary, frankly, the numbers that some of these companies put up, you know, um, Harvest was talking about last night, you know, the average dispensary, you know, on maturity in, in Nevada could be somewhere around, you know, 9 million in average universe. I mean, that's just a, an extraordinary number. Um, and of course, um, in some recreational states, those numbers are even higher, significantly higher. So um, there's the, you know, the MOMSOS, I believe is the ticker, is the one that's focused on the U.S. cannabis market. Um, you know, that's the one uh, that Keith talks about in the, the morning call the most. Uh, now that is a U.S.-based um, uh, ETF. So if you want to play the U.S. Um, companies, that's the best way to go. Uh, the MJ, I believe, is the symbol incorporates the Canadian companies. And I'm, you know, it's hard to know I, uh, on a pure growth, right? You're going to, you want more exposure to the U.S. than I think Canada. But, you know, if there is legalization, as you saw, you know, with, you know, the performance of Aurora, I think up 150% in two days on the thought that there may be, you know, legalization, the Canadian companies are, it's going to be years before they are allowed into the market. So I, uh, I want to focus on the U.S. companies. And so therefore, um, 
you know, the, the, the U.S. centric ETF is probably the best one to play. But again, as you know, if if we get talk of legalization, everything's going higher, frankly. So um, I don't know if that really answers the question, but it's I would focus on the, the MSOS as the, as the one. Sure. And, and Howard, I, I almost like IIPR, you know, it's one of uh, our best ideas as almost like an index play too, because it benefits from the whole industry. And it, if you just want to maybe take the most cautious way to play it from an ETF perspective, you also get a dividend with uh, IIPR. And we actually have plenty of questions about them, but we'll, we'll get to, uh, maybe I'll ask one of those um, questions here. What What is our price target on IIPR and and when does it get overvalued? Um, I'm not, uh, well, so we don't technically have price targets as part of our process. Um, so, um, I, you know, I, I, this is, uh, this is, you know, I would refer to case ranges. If you want to think about targets, I would use case ranges um, at high end of the range, lower range is, is a way to think about it. Um, I, if you're a longer term investor, this is a name that you, you know, just want to put away for two to three years, frankly. Um, and, it, and it could, if you want to pick a number, it could double because, you know, you now have, what, five new states, four new states, um, which are opening up to the rec market, which means they are now market in which IIPR's existing clients can go in and open stores and, and they can participate in that growth. And then, you know, and then we're, you know, New York, Texas, <laughs> there are so many other markets that open up. I mean, it's really just beginning the, the emergence. This, this is an industry, I have to keep reminding myself, this is an industry that's under prohibition or in prohibition, right? So you are taking advantage of investing in, a, in an industry, you know, call it, you know, think about investing in the alcohol industry in the 20s when it was in prohibition. I mean, it's just, um, you know, there is just so much growth and potential here that, uh, you know, it's hard to pick a number. Uh, and like I said, we don't have price targets, but I would use Keith's uh, model. If you want to trade it, the best way to do it is to use Keith's um, ranges. And, and we have uh, slides beginning on slide 46 for IPR. And, and maybe like a reminder for them is, is that it's a, it's a REIT. So, um, you know, if the stock gets, you know, overvalued, they, they can issue more equity and they can go out and invest more in the space and then they can grow again. So, in, in a way, it, it doesn't get as overvalued as, as like a tech stock because they can use that currency because, right, as a REIT, it's a different structure than a, a C-Corp, right? So they can issue equity and then they can go lend it to the industry and then they can generate earnings. So in a way, it, it kind of self-corrects the overvaluation. So you can look at it in a dividend perspective and say, well, this dividend might be low, but if the stock currency is quite high, I mean, they're, they're effectively the only lender in the space, right, Howard? Yeah, want to enhance the returns they can use the balance sheet uh, right so i mean they're not even doing that yet so there's just so many options for this company and so many ways to win uh, over the next couple of years that i if i owned it i would not be selling it. right okay. um howard are there any red flags you look for that are specific to cannabis companies models especially with regards to their ifrs reporting and inventory biological asset valuations and adjustments so um, the so the red flags, frankly, stem from management teams, and that is where we begin, frankly, all of our discussion with 
and thoughts around a certain company is management. And that's the single most important thing because if you've got a reputable management team that has a great business model and they really want to create shareholder value, all the other things that were mentioned in that question about you know, accounting irregularities or, you know, you know, fair value adjustments, those don't matter effectively, right? And all those are, you know, modeled out anyway because everybody looks at what a true cost of gold good sold is. So um, if you really start with the management teams and, and that's something that, you know, is hard um, because there are so many public companies out there in the, in the space and they all want to, you know, the first five slides of every presentation is how big, you know, like we started with, you know, the same way effectively with how big the industry is going to be and how big this state's going to be. And, and it boils down to, do you have a management team that can execute on the strategy, frankly? And so, um, and, you know, I'll just go back to our initial, you know, short thesis on, on Canopy. I mean, the guy that was running that was just, you know, he was, he had zero knowledge, if I can say that, of, of cost of capital or, you know, or return on invested capital. So, um, and, and now if you listen to that management team, they are really focused on, you know, fixing the business returns, you know, um, and generate, generating cash, generating earnings. So uh, it really starts, I mean, I'll come back to what I said. I mean, it really starts with the management team. And if you've got a good management team, um, you know, man, navigating this industry is a lot easier. Navigating the stocks is a lot easier. Okay, and we also like to look at the states the companies are in, right? We, we like the limited license states. There, it's not, not maybe a red flag, but there are differences, and that's that's why we hope we can beat the index, right, Howard? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I mean there are, you know, I mean if you look at our longs, right, whether it's AYR, True Leaves, you know, Green Thumb or Cresco, I mean, yes, they do have well, Innovative has some cannabis. Uh, California exposure, um, but you know we, we're not. You know we're we're focusing on companies on the East Coast, frankly, than more on the West Coast. But Nevada is a great state, and there are some other states opening up. So yes, it's the limited license states. But more importantly, is who's running those companies within those states, and are they, and have they bought the right assets um, in those states? And I suspect that there are some of the early MSOs in the space that may own some assets that they might not want to own today, but you know, they were early in it and they bought some things and they want to upgrade the current assets. Who knows? But um, yeah, the limited license states, strong management teams and limited license states, and you've got a great model probably. Okay. Howard, we have another uh, cannabis question. Why would you go short Afria when it is the low cost producer in Canada gaining market share going into US with Sweetwater and it has a strong balance sheet? Uh, well, I'm gonna let you talk to the Sweetwater acquisition, Daniel, because you know more about beer than I do, but I don't like that acquisition, frankly. And it's interesting to see, and I was thinking through this you know, in the last 24 hours, 48 hours since they made that acquisition, because, you know, the Tilray CEO threw shade on the MSOs, right? And and the world, basically what the distribution channel for marijuana will look like, you know, in two or three years. Um, you've got Constellation going down the beverage route. You've got um, Erwin Simon taking a free it down 
you know, the road of buying a beverage company in the United States. I, you know, I'll let you speak to that in a second, but I've made, uh, I've made a lot of money shorting Irwin um, and I, now let you talk to the beverage strategy, what they, what they do, but uh, I'm, I'm not convinced that this is the right move for the company. But why don't you talk about Sweetwater? Sure. Um, and so I, I don't like the, um, the craft brewing um, acquisition. Maybe the person asking the question likes the Sweetwater beer better than I do. <laughs> but what, I, what I'd say is, um, you know, companies buying uh, craft brewers have, have not had a good track record. You know, there's very low barriers to entry. The, the acquisition price was much more expensive than Dogfish Head. Um, I kind of went through the math, uh, and, you know, we, ha we have it um, in, a, in a note of, of their profitability per barrel, and it, it doesn't seem to, to match with, with what they're charging. So I'm a little cautious about that. But at, at the end of the day, what, what are they delivering? You know, like when, when Budweiser buys a craft brewery, they're opening up their distribution. You know, what is Africa getting when they're adding Sweetwater? You can have your cannabis drinks, you know, distributed without buying a company. So I, I think they're just trying to buy earnings without being able to support it. And, you know, there's, there's sort of very little synergies involved there. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're not positive on THC drinks in, in the near future. It's, it's not clear that that's a form that's going to take a lot of share in the industry. And then the other thing I'd add is that Howard, um, being the low cost producer of cannabis in Canada is, is probably not, that great of a claim when, you know, prohibition opens up, you know, Canada is not going to be the low cost producer, right? Yeah, no. And if you look at one of the names that's on our long bias list, it's a SPAC, um, you know, Clever Leaves and, you know, they're producing, you know, at 20 cents, you know, 20 cents a gram. And, you know, so in Canada, you're not the low cost, or you're the low cost producer in Canada, but you're not the low cost producer. So that's not a, you know, a, a great strategy, frankly. And, you know, prices are still coming down significantly uh, in the market um, as, you know, the competition uh, and the supply of can cannabis and the inventory issues, you know, continue to play out. And that's frankly one of the reasons why we're not, you know, going long uh, canopy today, frankly, because we want to wait you know, for more of the, the issues that the Canadian market has to deal with, they've got to, you know, they've got to work through a lot of inventory, which means prices are coming down, which means markets are still coming down. And if you layer into that a, an acquisition that doesn't make sense, um, you know, it feels like this is a really good short, frankly. Okay. And, you know, and it was <laughs> up a lot as well in the last couple of days on euphoria of, you know, legalization, and that's not going to happen for years. Okay. Um, switching gears a little, we have a non-cannabis question. Can you update us on Grocery Outlet with the stock down today? Sure. Um, so Grocery Outlet is a best idea long for us. And what I'd say, you know, they, they reported great results last night. They, they doubled, you know, the consensus earnings. Um, the same for sales were up 9%. The issue is the same for sales slowed in Q4, which, you know, of course is an issue, but it's what we were modeling. We were modeling uh, deceleration, but I still think grocery outlet is best positioned of the grocers to be able to comp the comp next year and, you know, in order to grow next year. So one, they have 10% square footage growth. They're going to open up stores in Pennsylvania for the first time. And, you know, that's going to prove that they can grow in the country once they, they can um, open up new stores in Pennsylvania. 
and that's going to be able to lower their their cost of uh, goods. You know, they, you don't have to ship goods all the way from California out, and it's going to open up new supplier relationships on the East Coast that they can ship back to the West. You know, it's all about the deals and opening up in, in, in Pennsylvania and getting closer to other food manufacturers is going to um, accelerate that trend for them. Um, but, you know, we, we see uh, several reasons why why that's happening. And, and I don't view it as structural, right? So um, grocery traffic trends are slower in California. California lags the rest of the country. And I think that's because they have still some of the most restrictions on, on where people can go. Uh, co- conventional grocers have benefited the most from being a one-stop destination during the pandemic. And so that, that's hurt grocery outlet, you know, you know, but that's going to reverse next year, right? Like people have been limiting their trips, you know, when we get a vaccine, that's going to change things. So, you know, part, part of this for a grocery outlet is looking out to next year, seeing how things are going to change, you know, with vaccine, you know, consumer behaviors are going to change. And this still has the ability to comp the comp. And then finally, Online sales have contributed about three to four percent to same-store sales for the conventional grocers. So if you take that away from, from them, they're they're copying similar to what grocery outlet is. Grocery outlet just can't do that. They you know it, it, they have limited um, inventory of their deals. It, it's just too complex. You, you know people have to go to the store, uh, and and frankly, you know I, I'd rather they not do it. You know one they they can't do it, but two it's margin dilutive, and so you're not going to have that dilution on grocery outlet. So I kind of, th- I think of grocery outlet as this is a great time, great entry point for someone who wants to own it and, and put it away for a long time. Like, you know, this is something that can grow at a 20% clip for, you know, a decade, right? So like, this is that type of a name and you know, you're buying it just because same for sales slowed from a pandemic sort of boost to what's sort of a normalized basis. And if the economy got weaker, their sales would accelerate and everyone else's we get weaker. All right. So I think that's for grocery outlet. And um, we have a, a restaurant question, Howard. Can you explain what is happening with Beyond Meat and McDonald's? Aren't they supplying McDonald's and why isn't that a positive? That was a, an interesting day, actually, because McDonald's, the day started out with McDonald's reporting a good quarter, and then they had their analyst meeting. Uh, and they introduced McPlant, and of course there was no mention of Beyond. They, they um, no reason for them to have mentioned it, frankly. And then so Beyond, then the stock goes down, and then all of a sudden someone from Beyond says, "Oh yeah, you know, a, a Reuters reporter must have called Beyond, and they got a quote saying, oh, we were a part of it, um, but they're not on the." The menu, meaning the Beyond Meat or the Beyond Burger, is not on the McDonald's menu, and I think, um, and then so then that evening we had the the earnings from Beyond, which were disastrous, and you know, and one of the first questions was to the CEO, you know, you know, what's the deal with McDonald's, frankly, and of course he can't comment because McDonald's didn't comment, so he can't say they're on it, they're on it, they're not on it, they're a part of it, they're not a part of it, but. Um, but I think one of the issues here is, you know, the CEO of Beyond has promised the street, I think, and I'm saying that uh, to a degree because he's talked about, you know, the relationship with McDonald's and they tested the product in Canada, but only for three months and it didn't work. And I, I to a certain degree, I think he's been telling people or whispering people here that, you know, they're going to ultimately get on the McDonald's menu. Well, 
maybe he doesn't know McDonald's very well, but name me a brand that's on the McDonald's menu that doesn't, you know, have a Mick in front of it, right? And the only one I can tell you what it is, right? It's Coca-Cola. So um, McDonald's will never put Beyond Meat on their menu. Will they might sell some technology to McDonald's to help them produce their burger? Yeah, but Beyond Meat will never, or the Beyond Burger, that name will never be on the McDonald's menu because McDonald's has never put you know, why would McDonald's put someone else's brand on their menu? It doesn't, it's not like McDonald's needs the Beyond brand for them to be successful. So I, you know, it's just, it's, it was an interesting day. Uh, there's still stories about it, you know, as to what's going on, where the confusion is. And, and frankly, you, the only confusion would stem from, you know, what the CEO Beyond has told the street prior to this announcement, right? If he's promised people that he was going to be on the McDonald's menu, then, you know, that's a promise that he just can't keep. So um, it's, you know, Beyond is, you know, way, you know, it probably trades at seven or eight times sales. Sales are growing 2%. You know, margins are collapsing. The TAM for, and now we know the addressable market for the U.S. Uh, food service industry is significantly below what the company wants you to believe it is. Um, and, you know, we put it, we have a deck on it, and I think there might be a slide in there. I don't know if it's in there or not. Um, hang on, let me just check. Uh, yeah, so slide 38 uh, would be our, um, what we size the opportunity for, um, the U.S. plant-based TAM and, you know, the Beyond thinks it's $35 billion. Um, You know, we put it in the, you know, a half a billion to $4 billion range. So, um, you know, and this company still trades at a market value above, you know, that. You know, now, yes, they are in 80 plus some countries around the world. So the TAM does go beyond the U.S., but frankly, um, it's just not, it, it, I'm going to repeat myself, but one, they're not going to be on the McDonald's menu. And two, this just shows you, and McDonald's isn't alone, right? Um, yeah, yes, Burger King has put, you know, the Impossible Whopper on their menu, but, you know, Burger King needs the help, right? McDonald's doesn't need the help. Does, you know, will Wendy's put Impossible or Beyond on their menu? Yeah, probably not, you know. So uh, I just don't think, you know, these these quick service restaurant companies that that are well-run, right, and are doing well, don't need the Beyond brand on their menu to be successful. And I think that's the one part of, you know, this Beyond story that, you know, the company's been promising that just won't happen, frankly. And McDonald's is, is very clear about that, or is now very clear about that. Okay. Um, I, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add to Cleverly is, but that's the most asked question left. Um, just want to make sure I hit on the most popular ones. Is there anything else you needed to add on Clever Yeah, Leads? Well, I, so I'm really intrigued by the, the Clever Lead story, frankly. Um, I, I think there's a lot of um, attributes to that story, the low-cost production, the capacity, their ability to sell into Europe, um, into Germany. Um, so there's a number of, of you know, there's a, there's a lot of reasons to like that story, frankly, and it's a fact, so there's the issues around that, but uh, we've, we've had two different conversations with the company. We're going to have another conversation with them. Actually, it was supposed to be today, but uh, it's going to be put off till tomorrow. So, um, you know, I'm still working through the process of, you know, where we're going to come out on this. But, um, you know, they have, you know, again, upon legalization, 
Uh, they've got a ton of export capacity in Colombia where their grows are uh, to, you know, to become a, a very big successful cannabis company. Um, but yet, you know, the path of, you know, the revenue growth is still unclear in my mind. So, you know, that's sort of kept me on the, uh, on the sidelines. Um, and frankly, I would, you know, I'd love to see them sign a long-term agreement, supply agreement with somebody and have the stock go up 20%, frankly, and then buy it. But, you know, I'll work through that myself, but I, I love the story. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, and, but we just got a little more work to do. Okay. All right, I think we have time for one last question and I'm gonna combine them to the extent I can just to get as many answered. Um, what happens to IIPR if the Safe Banking Act passes and where do we see the biggest risks for the IIPR business model? I, I think those are directly related, but I, I think I'd, I'd, we, we have a whole deck that we, could, we, ha we can make available to them um, that goes into greater detail if they want. Howard, how can they watch the IIPR deck that we did? Yeah, so we'll, um, we posted a link to, um, you know, to the, the IIPR deck in the Consumable Pro um, website, right, or the, 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 um, the platform. Um, so you can click on it and watch it. Um, and to, to answer the question, um, and by the way, uh, you can go on the Hedgeye website and subscribe to Consumables Pro um, because we are now having our best price of all year uh, that you'll get it for, I think, until the end of the month. So um, anyway, getting back to IIPR, I'm not convinced that, you know, lowering the cost of capital in the safe bank is going to hurt beyond, frankly. Um, there's a pretty good moat that they have around their business today. Um, that will, well, first, legalization is years off, right? So um, that's not going to happen tomorrow um, and what it looks like. But I, I think, you know, the point that we've talked about before about leveraging their balance sheet to enhance returns is probably the biggest reason why, one, the most, but two, um, you know, they've got this balance sheet that they can leverage to enhance returns and, and frankly drive the stock price up. In 2x from where it is today. So I'm, I'm not convinced that, you know, a safe deck is going to hurt them. Now, will it hurt it? You know, will the headlines hurt it? Yeah, probably it will. But I don't think it will fundamentally change their business model to where we're going to have to say, oh, no, we don't want to own this stock anymore. Or the story's changed, frankly, because if you think about the underlying dynamics of the industry, um, you know, there's still a lot of need for the company to or, or capital, the industry still needs a lot of capital. They will be a source of capital for the industry. And again, they have this tremendous balance sheet. Um, I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Daniel. Yeah, I, I think you explained it well. I, I just pictured for someone who, who doesn't understand the story as well, if the rents are compressed a little because there's some more competition from other banks, if the SAFE Act passed, you know, the, the company could borrow more, right? And they lever that balance sheet. So then the, the levered returns would be able to more than offset um, any rent compression. I mean, rent yields are not going to go to, you know, tiny minuscule levels, right? And then they still have all that growth ahead of them. So they've, they've purposely left their balance sheet unlevered for that day to come, but it's it's not coming. We, we've, we did a call, I think last week, right, with uh, our Washington experts on, on, on how that will lay out and, you know, it's quite unlikely. We'll, we'll see in January how, how Georgia goes, but 
that's not the biggest risk for them. And, and I think that was taken off the table. And that's why the stock performed so well right after the election. Yeah, I mean, because we have our um, 2020 election industry impact slide 30, um, you know, which is still, you know, red, frankly. Um, and that means that, you know, the, you know, it still favors the business model. So maybe we could just, we can tweet out, uh, we can send a tweet about uh, how to get that IPR deck and that might answer those questions. <laughs> But um, they can also visit our Consumables Pro landing page. Or you can email consumablespro at hedgeye.com and we can send it to you. Okay. All right. I think that's that's all for the questions, Howard. I don't know if you want to send us off. Thank you all. Uh, again, we're having uh, you know the best price we get all year for subscribing to Consumables Pro. I hope you see that uh, we're going to, we have and will continue to generate a number of ideas to help you all make money. So again, thank you for tuning in. Um, and Daniel, thank you for, uh, for asking those questions or for um, moderating the question. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to our podcast. As a reminder, new Hedgeye subscribers may qualify for a special discount on one of our Hedgeye investing products. Email customer service director Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. Hedgeye Risk Management is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Connecticut. Hedgeye Risk Management is not a broker-dealer and does not provide investment advice for individuals. This research does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. This research is presented without regard to individual investment preferences or risk parameters. It is general information and does not constitute specific investment advice. Nothing presented herein should be construed as legal or tax advice. This presentation is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye Risk Management is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of Hedgeye and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye Risk Management's clients and subscribers. In reaching these opinions and conclusions, the individuals expressing those opinions and conclusions and their employees have relied upon research which is based upon sources considered credible and reliable within the industry. Neither Hedgeye Risk Management nor any individual expressing those opinions and conclusions are responsible for the validity or authenticity of the information upon which it has relied.